Father, we come before you and we lift up in our hearts those who are in hunger, those who need light, those who will only survive if they have the hope of your presence. I pray right now that you'd be near them. I pray, God, that we would be servants who are willing to feed those who are hungry, who are willing to bring light to those in darkness, that we would be people, God, who would live in such a way that our lives would point to you and they would see your glory and they would have hope. Teach us to be these kind of servants, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand again because I'm going to read scripture and it's, it's not a shorter account necessarily. It is, it is an account that is found in Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 23. And as I began this series, I was thinking of this series about the lights of Christmas. And as I've been working on this message, it is the perfect message to go into our next series called Whatever It Takes. So much so that that was kind of happening this week. And Sarah, who does kind of puts things on the screen, goes, now do you want whatever it takes or the lights of Christmas? I said, whatever it takes. Because we read in scripture, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for the Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Just comment there. Bethlehem was a small city. Most New Testament scholars would say that was possibly some 12 to 20 infant boys in that area. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in, a, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in the town of Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said to the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Father, we pray that you would teach us your, from your word. You may be seated, thanks. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is, um, is, is pretty simple. And I realize on a morning like this, normally it's kind of the core of the church team kind of that comes on some of these Sundays and a lot are out traveling to other parents and we have some family that are still here. But I I really want to talk to you as a church family, the team, as we kind of come to the end of the year and we go into the next year, I want to talk to you about signing up. 
about signing up to be on this team. And if you're a family member and you're here and maybe have another church community, or if you don't, I hope that you will listen. And there are ways that you can sign up to be a servant of God, because I'm going to go through some tips as we go into the new year of what it means to be a servant of God. But what I really want to appeal to you as a church family is to think about what it means for you to be a part of what we talk often about, is imagine a church, a community of people, a team committed as followers of Jesus, to do whatever it takes to serve this West Metro or wherever God has placed you. So don't let that, you know, people go, is it this hard line? No, it's it's kind of like to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. We are just kind of saying in this area and anywhere God has placed you. And to do this in the name of Jesus. What we're asking is for people to serve. That's kind of the heart of this. Imagine a church, and we're going to be talking in the weeks to come about whatever it takes. What does it mean to whatever it takes? To be a whatever it takes servant. To be a part of the team. To consider this year what way you might be a part of the team. There's going to be a number of opportunities that will be coming up for you to serve. You can do this collectively. We'll be doing it. There will be opportunities. And then individually. Maybe it might mean for you just to consider and pray about what does it look like to re-up for what you already are doing. Because so many take part here in so many different ways. And maybe it means asking God, is there something new or different he wants you to do this year? And maybe it means getting in the game and not being on the sidelines. But to actually be a participant in something with regard to ministry. Using your time or your gifts or, 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 or giving financially on a consistent basis. Whatever that might look like. But kind of moving from what we are moved, have moved full, so fully into a consumer oriented culture, which is true even in the church, but to a place where we say what we want to do is make a difference in the lives of people and everybody here can do something to do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of calling us together to think of ourselves as a team and to think about the opportunities as they come through this year of being a team. And what I want you to think about is primarily this. God, where do you want me to sign up? Where do you want me to sign up? Will you lead me in this new year? And so here are some tips. I'm going to give you six tips on, on what I would call is a whatever it takes servant from this passage of scripture. And there is no way we're going to go through this passage of scripture and, and understand all of it because we get into some very complex prophetic fulfillments that, that a lot of New Testament scholars go back and forth on. But I'm going to give you some general overviews as we go through this. And the very first thing that I want to just share with you, if you're going to sign up, is, is, the, is this tip that you need to be available. You need to be a person that says, God, I'm available. You, you need to take the posture of a servant. Like Mary who said, I am the Lord's servant. Who Joseph, when it says he was a righteous man, didn't mean that he was just a, a do-gooder. It meant he was one who wanted to do what was right before God. So he said, God, if you want me to, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. There's this idea of the posture of a servant. Have you, I'm sure you've seen on TV in, 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 um, sometimes some of you have seen like a Downton Abbey or something like that where you have these people who have amassed some wealth and they have servants, right? So if you think about that for a second, they're eating, what's usually the posture of a servant? They're kind of standing there, they're available, and they're ready to do what needs to be done at the calling of whoever is sitting at that table. 
It, it reminds me of when we had the women's event, and you go around, and you had these men here, our men, in white shirts and bow ties. They looked really nice. They were looking good. They were serving, ready at every one, at the beck and call. Well, not really. Anyway. Here's what, a, a, what I call available servants do is they are people who listen for God. And there is truly a difference between listening to God and listening for God. Listening for God is a part of that posture of a servant about being available. A servant lives with an availability to whatever is they're being called to do. This January, what we're going to do as a church, and I want you to consider this, and I want you to pray about um, I, I, it's kind of an all-church time of prayer and fasting. And, and prayer and fasting can take on all kinds of different things. And when we talk about fasting, some people go, I can't go without food. I'm not, we're not asking you to go even go without food. We're asking you to go out with something that you choose to do maybe on a regular basis that you go, I could kind of sacrifice this as a way of, of training my will to, instead of turning here, turning to God, saying, God, I want to be in a place where I'm available to hear you. I'm going to begin to listen for you. I want to do your will. So we're going to do this as a whole church. When we come to January, we're going to come January 6th to 9th, and we're going to take time, and we're going to pray and fast, and as a church body, both individually and collectively, we're going to say, God, we want to be available to you through this year. We want to have the kind of ears, kind of those servants, that even though we might be in the midst of doing something, maybe you're not just standing, you're actually involved in your work world, you're involved as a parent with your kids, but you have this ability for God to get your attention because you're listening for God. You're available. You know, it's really great to have a servant who listens and is, is hearing that quiet voice in the midst of activity and can hear God. But what's really cool is this, and part of what happens in the practice of prayer and fasting is this, you begin to kind of train yourself to hear and to listen. And even, here's what people really love. Don't you love people who you work with who anticipate what you're going to ask them to do? It has that ability for us to kind of get in tune with God. We're going to look at a verse, John four thirty four, which says, at one point, Jesus, and we'll go into this next week, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. The, he, they were there, it was an afternoon, it was hot, he's at a well with a Samaritan woman, and, he, and the disciples are starving, and they go, Jesus, we're going down to McDonald's, do you want some? He doesn't, he said, no, I'm fine. He comes back, and they see, and he and they're wondering, what did he get to eat? What did he eat? Did you? And he goes, my will is to, my food is to do the will of God. And so we're going to take time. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to hand out some brochures. But we are determined as a church leadership to develop a posture of a servant. A posture where we're available to do whatever God calls us to do, to love those around us, to be a team wherever God has placed us. And God has given us some opportunities at church over the past few years through some through, uh, funerals that we've done, through um, different ways that we have served in this community. And we want to have that heart that is open and pliable. So I'm going to ask you, what does it mean for you to be available? Are you willing today, right now, to say, Jesus, I'm available? I want you to, I want you to sincerely say, I'm signing up in this coming year. And some of you say, well, I've said it before. Would you say it again this year and say, Jesus, I am available to serve you. 
I want to be a whatever-it-takes servant. The next thing that you see in this passage of Scripture is, is, is flexibility. Servants um, are people who are flexible. So I'm going to encourage you to be flexible. Flexibility is a key word in a servant's life. Because if you look at servants, they're doing something in, in, in like that, they could be called to do something else. Just look at the life of Joseph. If you look at verse um, chapter 1, uh, verse 20 in Matthew, it says, an angel says, take Mary home as your wife. He had just made plans to quietly break the engagement and God changes it and says, uh, that's not the direction I want you to go. You go on to Luke chapter 2 and you, you see the census takes and they have to go to, to Bethlehem. Not what was probably in their plans. Flexibility is a major part of being a whatever it takes servant. Chapter 2 verse 13. At a certain point an angel comes to me and says, get up, take the child and his mother to Egypt. I mean... They're living in a suitcase, right? Because God just keeps changing them. They're, they're just getting settled in. Bethlehem, he's going, yeah, maybe I could start up a, 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 my workshop or if he was in, in, in the building trade in some way, mason, whatever. You go to chapter 2, verse 20, and he says again, now he's in Egypt. Get up and take the child and his mother to the land of Israel. You go to chapter 2, 22 and 23. He hears about Archelaus. He's nervous. He's worried. What should I do? Do I do you want me to go back into Bethlehem? Because you know that's where the child is to be raised. And and he is warned in a dream, according to verse twenty two and twenty three. And he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went back to Nazareth. A great tip if you want to be a whatever it takes servant is be flexible. You're a servant to another's will. When you say, I want to be available, you are basically saying, your will is more important than mine right now. And if you become a servant, then, who is going to be at the beck and call of another person's will, you will also then have to learn to be flexible. I don't like being flexible. Anybody have trouble with flexibility here? You know, it's really kind of funny that as as you get older, your body gets less flexible. Do you know as you get older, it's not only your body that gets less flexible. It's the traditions you carry. It's the cultural things that you pick up. It's, it's your ideas. Especially some of us who are older kind of go, well, we can't, you know, they can't do it this way. And God goes, no, I'm working in a new way. I want you to be like a parent and support and to play and to, to help whatever that new way might be. He calls for Flexibility. If the posture of a servant is availability, then the life of a servant is flexibility. Listening to the Spirit of God. There's another thing that you see here as well as is be, re- oh, I'll be, before I go with that, I just want to ask you, there may be this question that God is asking you. Is there room for God to change your direction? I want you to think about that as you think about what a, whatever it takes kind of servant. And then, and then the next thing is be responsive. It's another tip. As we go into this year and you think about it, whatever it takes, servant. When God nudged Joseph, what I love about this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've talked about this before, Joseph followed immediately. Not only was he available and was he flexible, he was responsive so that when, when the Spirit of God began to nudge and push him in a direction, he went that way. That way. The angel said, take Mary. The Bible says when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. The angel said, take the child and his mother and escape. The word escape, flee, means run for your lives. 
kind of thing. It wasn't kind of like, well, you know, get up the next morning and pack, and you maybe take a couple days to go around and tell people. No. It was what he said. Escape to Egypt. And the Bible says he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped. The angel said, get up and take the child and his mother to the land of Israel. This one was a little, you know, a little more planning. You didn't have to run. It wasn't escape. It's just take and I want you to go back to Israel. So he, he, he says, the Bible says he got up, took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. He's going along and he hears about Archelaus being in Judea and he goes, yeah, I'm a little bit afraid to go back there because he's a lot like the Herod that I knew and an angel comes to him again. That's pretty amazing to me that the angel keeps coming to him, right? The angel comes to him and warns him and says, you know what, go up to Galilee, go back to the land of Galilee and he goes back to Nazareth where he came from. But what is so interesting is you don't get this idea of, 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 of Joseph kind of going, well, I don't know God, negotiating with God. You have this whatever it takes kind of servant heart that is not only available and flexible but is responsive to when he calls. We're all kind of like kids, aren't we, though? You ever try to get a kid, you know, you try and tell a child and they've got on their mind they're going to do something? Well, we're all kind of like that before God, but whatever it takes servant does is responsive. When God prompts you, how responsive are you? And if you look at the life of Joseph, he was responsive. If God is prompting you to invite a person out for coffee, do you negotiate with God? Or he's, he's, he's prompting you to write a note to a person or to make a phone call or to sign up to help with something or to give a gift or to stop gossiping or to quit complaining. And when God prompts you to say you're sorry and ask forgiveness, do you do it? Why is it so hard for us to respond to those promptings? I can tell you, I can be in the middle of a conversation and I'm talking about something and I'm going south with it. And I get this kind of work, I can just feel it in my spirit, and I know I have a choice. And there's, there's times I just overrun the choice. And I just keep going on, and then I feel rotten. Why is it so hard to forgive? I, I, I come into a situation where, where you offend someone and, and you hurt someone, or maybe you're not really sure you did, but what's so difficult to humble yourself and just to go to that person and say, I just, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Why is this so hard to respond immediately? Not only are they responsive, but a whatever it takes servant is confident. And so I encourage you as this kind of servant, be confident. What is so interesting in this story is five times in the story of Joseph, Matthew tells us God intervened to provide and to protect. If you're doing something God-sized, if you're doing something God-directed, you can do it with confidence knowing that God will ensure that what he wants done will be done. He will step in miraculously to protect or to provide or to guide. You see that again and again in the story. So whatever it takes, servant has this confidence that even when things in their life seem to not be going the way they should be going, God seems to intervene and says, you know what, I'm more concerned about what I've asked you to do than you are concerned about getting it done. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to intervene when I need to intervene. For myself, I sometimes think about it and I go, could it be that, that God isn't intervening at times in my life because I'm not 
really doing anything of a God-sized kind of a nature. I'm kind of doing the things that I can do in my own strength. And so you look at this um, confidence that, that you find in, 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 I think, the servant Joseph, which to me, both Mary and Joseph are, are prime examples of what I call whatever-it-takes servants. He says, put your faith in God, not in the way things look. Trust God to accomplish all that he has called you to do. He who has called you will bring it to completion. Some of you are in that place right now and you're, you're kind of going, I just don't know. I, you know, is God gonna, is God gonna answer? Is God going to fulfill his word in this situation in my life? Paul says in Philippians chapter one, verse five, he says, be confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. So there's this idea of availability, there's this idea of flexibility, there's an idea here of responsiveness, and then there is this sense of confidence that if God has called me to do something, if he's nudged me to do it, I'm not to worry about the outcomes, I'm to do it because he promises to take care of what that outcome should look like. He will intervene if necessary. And then there's another thing, as I read in this story, it's about persistent. The fifth tip would be be persistent. When you are a servant, you continue constantly, consistently, and persistently to go about what you've been asked to do. You keep walking, you keep loving, you keep doing good, you keep being kind, you keep remaining patient, you keep persevering in prayer, you just don't give up. If, if you've been called to do it as a servant, you do whatever it takes reading in the book by Jonathan Cain on Book of Mysteries. He has, a, he has one of the days where he talks about the great ascending. And he talks about this teacher kind of guide friend who took his student guest on a long hike. It was a day's journey. They started out and it seemed fairly level. As they went and they climbed along, it was just it seemed a level path. And they went through the afternoon and they stopped to have something to eat and they continued on. And the guy's going, how long is it going to go? And there were these gentle hills on either side so they couldn't see anything, trees and different things. So they couldn't see. He just kept walking and walking a whole day's journey. Till they come near the end and he is led to a ledge and he looks over the ledge and he's stunned. And he's not just stunned because of this incredible panoramic view of everything below. He's also stunned about what has been revealed to him about the journey he had just taken. The guide says, look over there. That's where we came from. And he points and he shows way back there, way down there, this little dot. And this kind of student Hiker says, I I had no idea. The path as we went seemed so level. And the guide says, yeah, in the short run, it seemed level. But in the long run, over time, it was a colossal ascent. We just walked and continued to walk and kept walking and walked and walked and walked till we came here. His guide continued, you see, over the long run, continuance, consistency, and perseverance overcome everything else. The small upward steps taken every day that seem to have hardly any ascent to them will end up lifting you to heights beyond what you could have thought possible. God has called you where you're at, not only to love, but to keep loving. Not only to believe, but to press into that belief. Not only to do what is right, but to persevere in doing right. 
Because when you do that, the power of your love and your faith bring about the multiplication of what God's about. Before you know it, you're in a place you didn't even realize. Things happen. God intervenes. He works. He moves. Don't ever let your life um, come to this place where you begin to judge because it's so easy to do. I know it's so easy to do. Don't let yourself come to a place where you judge your life and what God is doing in your life by what appears in the moment on your journey. You'll rarely see what God is doing. It's often when you look back at the big picture, the long run, that you begin to see the magnitude of the miracle of what God has accomplished. It's often after the journey that you see this. And you see this in this story here in this way. Matthew looks back and reveals the incredible work God has done through Joseph and Mary, through their availability, their flexibility, their responsiveness, their confidence that God's at work in their life as they persist and keep doing it. At a certain point, Matthew looks back and he gives three prophetic statements here. And New Testament scholars struggle with what, these are not what we consider to be word-for-word kind of direct fulfillments. You look in the, the word of God, it says she'll be a virgin with a child and, and, and he'll be a wonderful counselor. We kind of go, well, yeah, that's really, these are three statements statements I, out of Egypt I call my son, which are not in any in the context about a a, a, a messiah necessarily. They're statements of, of that that don't contextually fit, but they do when when you look at the big picture and you look at the whole Old Testament in its scope and you go, oh yeah. Just like Moses came out of Egypt so his son, Jesus, does. You go through and you begin to see. And you can only see it from the larger scope when you look back at it. I want to encourage you, as you go through this year and you say, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to be a servant. And you may be in this right now. Persistence, faithfulness. That word faithful is interesting. Faithful. If you want to be full of faith, you have to remain faithful so that you will see the fullness at some point of your faith. And you might not see it in this life. I don't think Joseph and Mary had a conception of what was going on until some point later, maybe Mary, when, when Matthew was writing this gospel and, and, and there was some connection there and he was, she began to say, wow, that makes sense. It wasn't until they had the whole scope of what their life was in the Old Testament that they saw it. These prophecies were fulfilled because they walked out their journey persistently. And then be compassionate. By that I mean just be willing to get your hands dirty. Step in and make a difference in places that require humble and compassionate service. The story ends and begins with an interesting emphasis. The emphasis is a Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt. On Christmas Day, there was a tweet that was sent by the progressive Democrat representative-elect Alexandria... Ocasio-Cortez. And some of you may be aware of this. It's created quite a storm. She wrote, Joy to the world. Merry Christmas to everyone. Here's to a holiday filled with happiness, family, and love for all people. And then in parentheses, including refugee babies in mangers, plus sign their parents. That tweet's erupted into a highly politicized debate. 
about whether Jesus was a refugee or not. And I think it's really interesting that people are fighting over whether Jesus is a refugee or not. It's, it's launched a verbal war on Twitter, on Facebook to- posts, it, it, it's it, it, articles, there's been news reports, things. People are going back and forth, whether Jesus was he a refugee or not. And here's my point on this. Whether Jesus was a refugee or not, this is what we do know. Joseph and Mary were fleeing the persecution and violence in their home country. Anybody disagree with that? Call it what we want. Joseph and Mary had to rely on the compassion of people living in Egypt. There was a community of of Jewish people there in Egypt. So they were moving into a place where there were some that were already called there, had left there a number of years before. But they had to go into a place where they were leaving a place where they were experienced the potential of persecution and violence and moving into a community where they didn't know anyone. And they went to this place and they were in this place of need where people had to come around them. The same thing happened when they went to Bethlehem. And so what I find is really interesting in the backdrop of the story, it, it begins with this idea of Jesus having to have fled, his parents taking him to Egypt, and it ends with him coming back and being warned that as he's going back, don't go back to this area of Judea, I want you to go back to Galilee, which was prophesied that he would go to this place. Again, even this word Nazarene, as they look at it, it's not in the Old Testament. So it has to either mean it was like a branch or stem and it's saying that Jesus was like this shoot that continued to make up, continued to grow that no one could cut off or no one could disturb. Or it's this Nazarene, this word which in many ways was a, was a term of derision. And so it was Galilee looked at and despised by the rest of the country. And so here you have him going into Egypt. He's fighting, fighting persecution, and he's fleeing it, and he's going all the way to Galilee to another place that's despised into a, a town of, that's, that has some kind of derisive quality to it. And Jesus grows up, and he may have only been about two years of age, could have been two, three, some even say up to four, before, when he left Egypt. But he grows up and he understands the plight of people who are suffering, who are in need. And, and God forms in the heart of this little one a heart of compassion that has a ministry to the most needy, to the most broken, to the people who are um, despised and looked down on and feel there's no hope before themselves in God. And so when we talk about being a church that imagines whatever it takes to serve this West Metro in the name of Jesus, what we're talking about is how do we replicate that kind of compassion where God has called us to do it, where he's called you individually. I don't care to get into the debates, but I do know this, that we as people are called to pray for those who are suffering around the world. We are called to do what we can to help those who are suffering. And I'm so grateful that you as a church have done this in so many ways. Someone remarks that you're not wearing a tie because we're doing this month of December and I have done it. And I I had chose before I was going to go to the 24th. Rule breaker, I guess. But anyway, December is this whole um, ministry that many churches are involved in. We have a group that are involved in. We've raised thousands of dollars over the past couple of years that have helped people who are being trafficked, who are in human slavery. I think of what God has allowed for us to do in bringing to us a ministry of those who are from China who are coming here and who are people who have sacrificed time to help bring that about. There are so many ways you as a congregation of servants have, have done this very thing. You have worked with compassion. We've, we've stopped things and, and shut down church and, and changed ministries to help 
in, in a couple funerals where God just called us to do something. He said, are you available? Are you flexible? Are you, are you responsive to what I'm calling you to do? And will you persevere day in and day out in love and do good and continue to do that so that your character gets formed so that you are, have a heart of compassion for the community around you? And as I was preparing this, I hadn't prepared in my heart to go this direction, but I got a call from Dr. K, um, in who we have taken into our home, which used to be a freedom house, but now is home where we allow Dr. K and his family to come. And he, he, he emailed me and said, I'd really like to take a moment to thank you. So I'm going to ask Dr. K, if you'd come up, where are you, Dr. K? Are you out here? There you are. And, and he, We are so blessed to be able to have a ministry in your life, in your family's life. And we want to grow in this compassion. So if you guys come up here. Come on, you guys. Don't they look great? So... You wrote me an email and said you really wanted to talk to our congregation. And I said, not that week, but this week. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and just to, to share on your, from your heart. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, we got this on? Is it on? Actually, I'm so happy to stand before the congregation today because I've been looking for this opportunity to appreciate uh, the leaders of the church, the all members of the church, because you actually uh, rescued us when we were facing crisis. Uh, just like what uh, the sermon that is being preached today, he said, "Take what I mean, whatever it takes to see Christ. We risk everything to make sure that we are saved." And um, I'm giving it testimony of God that God is really alive and we're so happy today that God surrounded us with people with good intentions. Like I I used to tell people that when you are in the midst of rich people to me you you are not as protected as if you are in the midst of God fearing people. We're so lucky today that we actually find ourselves in the midst of God-fearing people, people with good intention. You know, they restore our hope. Initially, we thought it was finished because in Africa, it is a taboo or it is, uh, you receive a lot of stigma if you actually go against the will of your parents. They saw us as somebody who they saw us as, as outcasts because we go against the will of our parents based on religious difference. But we want to appreciate everybody today that it's like we have a family again. And you, every member of this congregation, is a member of our family. We want to thank you for love. We want to thank you for everything. We want to thank you for everything that you have done because... I've never seen any human being like you. You guys are the real model of humanity. Thank you once again on behalf of my family 
I say thank you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. You make sense. Thank you. Yeah. So what's so cool about that is um, I had prepared this message prior to this email. And I thought, man, I couldn't ask for a better, um, I want applause you. Thank you for your gifts that have made such a difference in people's lives. And the reason I said, you know, Jesus had experienced the compassion, Joseph and Mary had experienced the compassion of others who came around them in times of need. They were looking for, they were listening for the voice of God so that they could drop plans at times to do what needed to be done because they were responding to his spirit's nudge so that as they did that, and this is not something you just do once, but it was a repeated thing over time. And eventually it does something else that builds our character and it also builds our compassion. But then you see how someone has been served and they stand up here and they talk about the fact of how they have been served and how your love has rescued them in a time of crisis. If you've experienced that at all, I want to challenge us as a church family, together as a church family, to take our eyes off ourselves. Let's move away as best we can. Let go of this consumer kind of culture. Let's be done with judging whether we like a service, or we like a music, or we like the way this ministry or that is done. Let's take critique and let's get better and grow, but let's do one thing. Let's not be consumers. Let's change what we're doing and live out our vision because people have served us. They've touched us at points when we needed it. Let's turn around and say, God, whatever it takes. So all I'm asking you to do is to consider to sign up and say, you know what, God, I'm going to be a whatever it takes servant. I'm going to be a part of this community. If you're a part of this community, I'm going to, I'm going to say, God, I want to be a part. I don't, I don't want to just consume. I really want to come and give in whatever way God is calling you to give. I don't know what that is. He may be talking about your availability. He might be talking about needing flexibility. He might be talking about your being willing to be more responsive. And for some, you might be feeling like you're going to give up. You've been doing this. I've been doing this for how long? You wait till you get to the end and you get the opportunity to see the greater picture, the bigger picture, and you go, I can't believe where I came from. And just let's grow in our compassion. Let's see God do something really amazing this next year. Let's see God intervene because he's calling us to do things that are more than what we can do, but only he can do. I'm going to ask you just to stand at this point. I'm going to have the team come up and if they would lead us in this last song. But just... Just in the quietness of your own heart right now... um, Maybe with your head bowed, if you need to do that, just to be in a place where you're allowing the Spirit of God to speak to your heart. I don't want to leave here without giving you a chance to say, God, I'm going to be available. God, I'm going to be a flexible servant, and I'm going to be responsive to you, and I'm going to persevere, and I'm going to be compassionate and look for the needs around me. And God, we're going to be that kind of church. When we come together, this is an all-church thing. We're going to say, God, we want to have a heart that listens for you, that has the posture of a servant, whatever it takes, we say.
If that's in your heart to do that, you don't need to do anything more than just tell Jesus, I'm signing up, Jesus. This year I sign up to not be a consumer, but to take part in wherever you're calling me to take part. And for those of you in our church family, I'm asking you to to sign up and say, I'm going to be a part in some meaningful way of making a difference in this community and the community around me. Jesus, you know and you hear and you see the hearts of each and every person here. God, I pray for our church, for our family, that God, we would live out what you've called us to do, that we would be whatever it takes kind of servants. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.